You can take the stairs, but I'm preaching about faith, and I'm going to be preaching about not taking the stairs, and actually about leaping off into the purposes of God. So for those that don't know me, I probably should have done this earlier. My name is Rob Hutton. Have I remembered to do everything I'm supposed to do, Matt? There we go. Matt owes me money now, because he was very convinced that I would not remember everything today. Um, so we're continuing the series in Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, I've entitled my preach this morning, and uh, The World Was Not Worthy of Them. I want to say that again, the world was not worthy of them. And I got that from Hebrews chapter 11, the last few verses of that chapter, 37 to 40, says this, uh, the writer's been going through kind of this list of the heroes of the faith and just some specific things that they've accomplished and been through. And as he comes to the end of that list in verse 37, he says this, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Men and women of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. And uh, there's a few of the phrases in this chapter and the chapter that precedes it that um, really like leap out at me. And this is one of those, that the world was not worthy of them. And it's not because these were like, um, you know, they kind of floated around and they never had to go to the toilet and they actually had a halo over their heads and wings coming out of their backs. They were ordinary men and women like us. They, they struggled with the same things we struggled with. They had to, they had to um, contend for um, having food upon their tables and a roof over their heads. They had families. They had wives. They had husbands. They had children. They had all of these struggles. And yet the author here says the world was not worthy of them. And I, my, the way that I would describe that is they lived as if this world were not their world, that this, that this was not their final destination. And you kind of get the sense when you think about how we build our own lives, that in some ways we build as if this is everything, isn't it? I was actually saying to Hannah on the way to school the other day, I've got all the time in the world. I actually don't worry about wasting time because I've got eternity. I'm going to live forever and ever and ever and ever. What do I care what God wants to do with my 70 years or whatever it is that I get on the face of this earth? Because I'm not living for here. I'm living in light of that, as the, the, the right of Hebrews says, they long for a better city, the heavenly city. And so I want to preach this morning about how we live as men and women that, are, that, that don't count this as our final destination. And so people would say the world was not worthy of them. In other words, that this, but the way the world runs and the way the systems work, the way that it tries to get us to conform to its patterns, we were, we were above that. We were beyond that because we were living for something else. Sound good? You guys can interact with me. You're going to be shouting amen a bit later, so you may as well start warming yourself up for it. So I'm going to give a little bit of context to this and jump back. We'll go to Hebrews 11.32 in a moment, but uh, so I just worried I'm going to fall off the cliff. I'm just living on the edge here. Um, move forward a little bit. Oh, come on. That's like a faith statement of, no, there's a picture of faith right there. And so, so although, <laughs> so we're going to get to 11.32 in a moment, but for now, I want to jump back to um, chapter 10, verse 32. It's, uh, the writer says this, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. 
Don't those phrases like hit hard at you? Isn't that language so powerful? Remember the former days when you were first enlightened, when you were enlightened. Remember the the day when you came to Christ. Remember what it felt like to have that flush of of all your guilt and your sin being washed away from you. That that, um, when when your eyes were opened, the days when you had thought you were the enemy of God and, and, and you kind of, the, the Bible says we were actually contending against him only to find out that he is our only hope, that he is the one that redeems us and saves us and gives us a future. And um, he, he goes on and says this, he says, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Like, I mean, that's crazy talk. Do you mean, who joyfully accepts the plundering? Imagine some guys rock up into your house and just start opening your cupboards and taking your things or take your car away from you or, or you know, crack open the safe where you've been storing away your, like a little squirrel, all your money and kind of take that and you kind of go, yeah, I joyfully accept this. It's, it's madness, this kind of language. But, but think about the moment when we were first enlightened, when we came to know that we have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior that our eternal destination has changed. In a moment like that, and I don't know where it took place from you, for you, it might have been kneeling next to your bed, it might have been um, lean, you know, leaning onto your desk at work or at a, at a meeting at church where you responded to an invitation to receive Christ. But in those moments of absolute clarity, things seem utterly unimportant. Who cares about the house or the savings or the car or any of those things? Who cares about my reputation, what people think of me, it doesn't matter in light of the fact of what I have received. And right at the center of this letter um, that uh, the, the, whoever wrote it is writing is this reminder of the wonder of our salvation, that we have received something extraordinary. And uh, if you've heard me uh, quote this from Eugene Peterson once, you've probably heard it a dozen times, but I love it and I think it's, it's just such an outstanding quote and I want to read it to you again. He says, pastoral work, in large part, deals with the difficulty everyone has in staying alert to the magnificence of salvation. The difficulty everyone has in staying alert to the magnificence of salvation. When we first encounter God's saving love, it may well overwhelm us, but over a period of years, it has become a familiar part of the landscape, one religious item amongst many others. The vocabulary of salvation becomes hackneyed, reduced to the level of Valentine card verse, The mannerisms of the saved become predictable. Whenever we are associated with greatness over a long period of time, there is a tendency in us to become stale. What we first experienced in our faith, in our marriage, in our children, in our career, in our landscape as earth-shaking and soul-changing vision and adventure, we now take for granted. We lose in the language of the apocalypse our first love. And so that's why the writer is able to speak in this way and say, for you had compassion on those in prison and joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And that word better is one of the key words in the book of Hebrews. You'll see it come through again and again and again. Uh, The writer speaks of a better covenant, speaks of the better promises, speaks of the better high priest, and here of a better possession. And as wonderful as God's dealings were with His chosen people, Israel, His dealings with us are are so much more um, beyond that. His dealings with Israel pale in comparison to what He's doing through us. And I don't know if you noticed there that that our possession, the thing that kind of helps us to joyfully accept the plundering of our property is not plural, but singular. We have received a possession. It's not like 
Don't worry about it. If your car gets taken, your house gets taken, your savings get taken, God's going to give you cars and houses and savings. He might, who knows? But that's not the possession that makes us able to joyfully accept what's happened. With the possession, the A possession is Christ. You see, the wonder of the gospel is that we receive God. We receive Jesus. And with it comes all sorts of things, but, the, but it's Him. He is the prize that we receive. And the fact that He's an abiding possession, it's, it reminds me of Matthew 28 when Jesus ends off and He says, And lo, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. It's this enduring possession. It can never be taken from you. It's like you've received the one thing that can never, ever be taken from you, and that is Jesus Christ Himself. In verse 35 of chapter 10, he says this, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And remember, he's speaking about faith here. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. That's another big word that comes through, especially in these chapters, is the word promise. At the end of chapter 11, um, what I read right up top there, we're introduced to the idea that there is something that is promised when he says that all of those, though commended by this, their faith, did not receive what is promised. And here he speaks about the fact that we, if we endure, we will receive what is promised. In chapter 11 and verse 13, the writer says this, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. What was it that was promised to them that we have received? And what was it, what is it that is still outstanding that we have to endure to receive it? Well, let's deal with the first one. What was promised to them that we have received? Christ, the, the superior high priest, the new covenant um, that he mediates. I saw this um, table recently, um, and I thought it was just an, such an incredible summary of the book of Hebrews in one page like this. But I, I particularly love this this. Um, movement towards um, chapter 8 and, and verse 1, um, where it goes, where we introduce to Jesus and um, the divine priest, Jesus the redeemer priest, Jesus the apostle priest, Jesus the perfect priest, Jesus the eternal priest. And then in chapter 8 and verse 1, it goes, therefore, since we have such a high priest, let us, and that it leads us into how we live, let us draw near, let us believe, let us endure, let us live this life of love. And that's what we've received. We have received um, Christ. We are born again. That's what comes with the new covenant. Not only do we get to know God and come into some relationship with Him, we are actually changed. We actually sang some wrong theology in one of those songs today. I don't know if you noticed that it, it, when it says, you've, um, you will break through my, my hard heart or my stony heart or my heart of stone or something like that. Brothers, if you're a believer, you don't have a stony heart. You don't have a hard heart. That's what the Bible says. A heart of, of stone has been taken out and replaced with a heart of flesh. That means that we, we couldn't respond to God before. We were, we were caught in sin. We were against God. But actually now our heart is a heart of flesh that is for God. He does something inside of us when we're born again. It's so dramatic, the Bible says, that Paul in one place calls us new creations. Like you're a new kind of creature after you're born again. And I can testify to that. There's so much of me that was robbed before that is robbed today. And um, that, is, um, that is what God has created and what he's redeeming. But there's some parts of me that if I look at, I saw the road that I was on. I was on a complete road to destruction except that Christ came in and redeemed me. We had the great privilege of praying on some deacons this week. And one of the questions we asked 
um, guys that are coming out to team is, are there any skeletons in your closet? Is there anything that, that like really kind of pretty hardcore from your past that you need to just tell me? I'm not going to share it with anybody else. But if anybody ever comes to me and said, you know that guy or that lady that was brought onto your team, did you know this about them? And then I'd be able to go, yeah, of course I knew that about them. And that's the wonder is the blood of Christ covers that. And I was saying to somebody this week as I got some of the information about what had gone on in people's lives, is holy moly, Christians are a bunch of ragamuffins. Do you know what I mean? We are, we, have, um, we are messed up and then we are redeemed by God. He comes in and he does this new miraculous work inside of us where he transforms us. Not only are we a new creation through the new covenant, but we receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1 and verse 4, this language of promise comes through again, where Jesus says, wait until you receive the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. We receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live this life that God wants us to live. We're not just, Rob, take off those dirty rags, put on a new clothing and say, now try and live a holy life. Now God comes in and transforms us from within. In fact, what he does, the prophets promised and, and the writer of Hebrews speaks about it, is he actually writes his law on our hearts and on our minds. And so I no longer need external laws saying, Rob, you need to do this and you need to obey this and you need to do this. If, I'm, if I actually listen to what's in my heart and in my mind now that God's written it in there, I want to obey those things. It's against my nature to sin now. I'm no longer led by the sin nature. I'm led by redeemed nature that God has established inside of me. Isn't that amazing? And think about the fact that as the writer of Hebrews goes through all of these heroes of the, of the Old Testament, he's speaking about men and women that were not born again. They didn't have the permanent infilling of the Holy Spirit. And they lived these lives of faith and endured because they saw a promise that was yet to come, which we have received. In John 8, 56, it says that Abraham longed to see, my, Jesus said this, Abraham longed to see my day and he saw it, he said. So Abraham looked forward, he saw Christ coming, and in anticipation of that, he lived this life of faith. He trusted God and all the other heroes that we've spoken about already trusted with him as well. How much more should we endure, friends? How much more should we hold the line no matter what comes our way? The, the second question was, um, what is still outstanding that we need to endure to, to receive it? Because the writer of Hebrews clearly says we've received the promise, but there's a promise yet to come. And I, I can sum that up in this phrase, face to face, the reality of being face to face. As wonderful as it is to know Christ in the way that we know him now, it'll, it'll, it'll seem like we've been living in poverty when we come to see him face to face one day. In chapter 8 and verse 5 of Hebrews, it speaks about the earthly tabernacle with all the items that were in it and says this, they serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. And later on in chapter 9, verse 24, it says, For Christ has entered not into a holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And that's what we still have to look forward to. As much as this life can be wonderful and, as, and uh, uh, moments of worship like we had this morning can almost seem heavenly, they're not heaven. None of us knows what it means to be before the living God face to face because that will only happen one day when we're glorified. None of us know, knows what it means to be stripped of this earthly tent and it's leaning towards sin and to be completely and utterly free of it. None of us knows what it means to no longer have the world and the God of this age contending against us, trying to put space between us and God to stand one day face to face with Christ in the reality, the true 
Not, not in the cop anymore. Not in the shadow, but in the reality. And so he goes in verse 32, and uh, the writer of Hebrews, having spoken about some of the heroes that we've spoken about already, and he says this, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets. And, uh, you know, it's so funny when we read the Bible and we don't know the names. We can just skip over names as well, eh? like Jephthah. Who knows about Jephthah? Who can give me a little bit of background on Jephthah? Linda once did a preach on Jephthah, so that's one of the reasons why I know him. He was one of those judges of Israel, as actually so was Gideon, and Barak wasn't. Samson was as well. David was obviously was a king. But actually, once you know the story of this guy, you'll be thinking, his name shouldn't be there. In fact, then you think a little bit, actually, why the heck is Samson there? And now that I think about it, what is Gideon and Barak doing there? I mean, these were, all of these were flawed, flawed men. And uh, the, the wonder is this, is that faith enables flawed people to accomplish great things for God. That was the other thing that came out of this invitation of people onto the deacon team. Almost um, universally, people say, well, I'm not qualified for this. And uh, it's good. It's good that we don't think that we're actually qualified for the leadership position that's perhaps offered to us, because obviously in some ways we're not. And yet the truth is that we're all flawed, aren't we? All of us have made some mistakes along the way that if, if, if we were God, we would disqualify ourselves. Aren't you glad you're not God? Aren't you glad that He's God? And so the author lists these guys. He lists Gideon. And uh, you remember the story of Gideon, just for some of you that may not have done your Sunday school classes and may not know these heroes of the faith. But Gideon was a coward. He was threshing out the grain in a, in a, in a wine press because he was worried about the invaders. And then when God came to him and called him, and introduces himself, uh, well, well, greets him as the mighty man of God, he kind of looks around and says, there's somebody else in the room here. Who are you talking to? It's not me. And God calls him. He says, I'm nothing. I'm a, I'm a worm. I'm less than nothing. I'm from the smallest tribe. And, like, and I'm a nobody in the smallest tribe. God says, I want you to do this for me. And he goes, well, I don't believe you. Can you make this happen? And God does. He said, well, I still don't believe you. Can you make this happen? And it was like, he just, he just wouldn't. Like, 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 you know when you go to somebody and say, I'm giving you this charge. Will you do this? And you kind of want them to say, step up and go, yes, I'll do this. Of course, I'm, I'll lay my life down. Gideon was like, no, I, I'm, I'm too scared. I don't want to do this. I'm not even sure. that, that like, like, who are you? What are you, what are, you are you really speaking to me here? And yet God uses him with 300 men to defeat an army of 135,000, and he's commended for his faith. Barak, who ends up winning a great victory over an army that had 900 chariots, was, was commanded by Deborah, who was the judge, to, to lead the army into battle, and he said, I'm not going to go. Unless you come in and lead the army, I'm not going to go, go into this battle. He was going to disobey the direct command of God. Samson, we know Samson's story. Samson was, um, did amazing things, you know, killed 700 men or something with a, the, the uh, don jawbone of a donkey. Um, but he was, he was lustful. I mean, he was just driven by lust for foreign women. He, when he saw a pretty woman, it was like he couldn't help himself. I, I want her. And um, he had been raised in such a way that he, he couldn't cut his hair, he couldn't drink alcohol because he was a, a Nazarite, a specific way of living. And yet he kind of just discards all of that. He just lived for himself, for his own lusts. And uh, it's, it, amazingly, he had his, his eye, when he was finally captured, his, his eyes gouged out by the enemy. is that amazing? The enemy gouges out the eyes that he used to lead him into lust. And having his eyes gouged at the end, he was able to actually make one last great um, uh, stand for God. And, and if you know the, the story, pulled down the pillars of the Palestine, uh, the, um, Palestine temple. Palestine. 
Palestine, whatever it is. Just, huh? Philistine temple. Philistine, yeah. I knew it was wrong. The Philistine temple, and they all, um, and, they, there was this, and all of them died. He killed more in his death, and he was counted amongst those who are victorious. Jephthah, this dude, man, talk about stupid. So he makes a stupid vow, and then he keeps a stupid vow. So Jephthah says to God, if you give me victory in the battle, I will sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my door. And I don't know if he was thinking like he had a little pig or something. No, he wouldn't have had a pig. He was a Jew. Maybe he had a little goat or something, and he thought, man, I'm, that goat, like, like Biscuit, is always the first to greet us at our door. Biscuit is our little dog. So I'm thinking, look, I'm willing to sacrifice Biscuit, Lord, if you give me victory this year in the battle. If I, if I tithe double this year, Biscuit's gone, Lord. I'll, I'll cook him on the briar, whatever it is. And what a stupid thing to say. And, uh, and guess who comes running out the door when he comes back from battle? His only daughter comes out the door. And then he sacrifices her. He actually puts her to death. Something God never asked for. Something God never wanted. God never asked for the vow. God never even com- compelled him to keep the vow. And he is in this list of the heroes of the faith. I'm like, like if they can get in there, friends, we can get in there. We can live lives of faith, even with our flaws, even with the mistakes we've made, even with our, our reluctance at times. If we will just be these men and women of faith, we can also come into this list. Now we're going to do a, I'm going to give you an opportunity to actually speak for a change. And so we're going to do that congregational response moment. You know, like when in the, in the Anglican church, when they say something and then they respond by saying something in return, we're going to do that today, okay? So in, in, in verse 33... And the writer of Hebrews goes on and lists the things that the men like these and others were able to accomplish. He says, and I'll give you an example, he says, through faith they conquered kingdoms, who through faith enforced justice. And after each one, I want you to say, amen. Okay, so I'm going to say it, you shout out the amen, because isn't this exciting? No, we want to do this. Don't we want to conquer kingdoms and enforce justice? Think about enforcing justice. Think about human trafficking in the world today, and we get, as through faith, to enforce justice. That we, I can give an amen to that, so I hope you can. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Not so many are saying amen now, hey. I'm with you. I hear hear the hesitancy. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. And that's not weed. I mean, they were actually had rocks thrown at them. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. And then it goes on in verse 39 to say this, all these were commended through their faith. Uh, Sorry, commended um, for their faith. All these, those that accomplished, those that stopped the mouths of lions and those that were eaten by the lions, those that quenched the flames and those that were burned by the flames, all of them. um, I remember hearing of of a young Chinese girl that had happened a few years back where she was um, arrested for distributing Bibles and gospel tracts and the, the officials kicked her, they tore out her hair, they beat her to death, and the official report came out that she had suffered a sudden disease. I've been reading Tom Holland's Dominion, which is kind of like he's an historian and he writes about this, the, 
the, the impact of Christianity through all the ages. And so it goes from pre-Christian times to the coming of Christ and the writings of Paul. And, just, and one of the things that you see, and, and I'm only a portion of the way through it there, is that uh, the church was built upon the suffering and the sacrifice and the blood of the saints. There's extraordinary stories of, of incredible suffering that took place, of, of, of terrible persecution. And the truth is, as bad as that was, there are more people being uh, martyred for their faith today than even in those times gone past. There are literally more people dying for their faith. And so we can't say, well, this has got nothing to do with us. This is impossible that we would be called to suffer for God. That, that, that we, we like that first part, Rob. We like the obtaining the promises and stopping the mouths of lions. And, and, we, and that's what we sing, don't we? I mean, and of course, God does those things. And I have a confidence that God is with me and for me. But I have to be able to hold things so openly in my hand that even if those things don't come to pass, even if the calling upon my life is to do something different from these, these high water marks of success, that I will still walk in faith. And what am I calling you to as a church if we don't um, put something inside of us that is prepared no matter what happens, that we will stand for God, no matter what threat is upon us, that we see faith as enduring those things and not just accomplishing the great things. And the author here is trying to steal the faithful, um, to re- or steal um, the believer to remain faithful to Christ in the, in the face of looming persecution. Remember the former days when you suffered when you had your goods taken away from you. He says, you're in that time again. Don't forget what you have, he's saying. Don't forget this, this true and abiding possession that you have, that is Jesus Christ. Don't forget the magnificence of your salvation. Don't forget the privilege and the opportunity to say, yes, I'm for Christ, even when the, the hammer is coming down against those that are for Jesus Christ. How do we live this life of faith? We don't disqualify ourselves. I, I don't think I'm uncovering you, but one of the people w- w- was quite reluctant to, to come onto the deacon team. And, uh, and this has been true. Every single time we ask people to come onto the deacon team or the eldership team, there is a, there is a certain reluctance, a, a humility, I think, in part, but, but other things as well. I, I think the enemy loves to disqualify us. And I, and I sent this person some of the quotes from Exodus about Moses with all his excuses when God called him. God sent somebody else. They won't believe me. I stutter. I'm not a great leader. Why would you use me? Please don't use me. And it didn't say, and God was impressed by Moses' humility. And God said to Moses, like, like boy, you are so amazing. Like, like, I'm so glad that you said no when I asked you these three times. It said, and God burned with anger. That's what it says. God burned with anger. God is not impressed by our reluctance to be obedient. He's not impressed by our reluctance to live a life of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And the answer to the question when God, when God calls you, not when you call yourself or somebody else calls you, but when you're sure God has called you, the answer to the question is always yes, yes. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I trust you. I, I'm, 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 actually, Lord, this is going to have to be a faith adventure because it can't possibly be me. It has to be you. Stop disqualifying yourself. And remember that you have, keep in mind, hold before you all the time that you have a, a better and abiding uh, possession. Jesus, your salvation. Don't throw away your confidence, the writer of Hebrews says. It finishes um, chapter 10 and the beginning of chapter 11. And I'm finishing with this if the worship team can come up. In Hebrews 10, verse 39 down to 11 too, it says, 
and He's speaking to us today. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. But friends, you are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. But of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is assurance of things, hope for the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. And right at the end of that passage, in 11 verse 40, as I read earlier, it says, And all of these, though, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Commended through their faith. And God wants to give us a commendation. And when I was praying this through, the thing that obviously would drop into my mind is from Matthew 25, 21 and 23. It's a repeat of it. Where remember the, the parable of the talents and, the, and they invest the, the, the talents and come back with more. And, and when they do, Jesus, who is the picture of the, ma- who's the master in this picture, greets him and says this, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. I felt, I felt like this niggling call of God in the back of my mind recently about something that might be quite costly. God very rarely leads me by showing me what he is actually going to do. I feel like I get a shape of things. I can remember before I was called a ministry, there were times where I used to feel the weight of that ministry long before I actually walked into it. And I would find myself weeping in worship just as the weight of it came upon me. And I learned to say yes in those moments. And I'm hearing something for another season that potentially has a cost to it. And I'm not naive. I don't need your affirmation for this. It's between God and I. God, Linda, and I. But will we say yes? No matter what it is, no matter what is in our hands, will we open our hands? I think I told you a little while ago, I was talking to my, my mom, and she was talking about something that if this happened to her, she said that it would be too much. I said, Mom, don't ever say that. I said, don't ever say that. There's nothing that can happen to us that is too much, that is more than Jesus. There's nothing that can be taken from us that is too much. There can be nothing that we, we hold in our hands so tight and say, Lord, you can take anything, but you can't take this. You can't, you can't do that. You've got you to come and say, by faith, Lord, I open my hands for you. And even this thing, I hold before you like this. This dream, this family member, this career, this health situation, whatever, I just, I open it up and say, Lord, it's for you, that you may accomplish your purposes. Because I know one day when I come before you, if I, if I live this life, I'll hear these words. And this is what we live for, friends. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Would you stand with me, please? If you're at home, um, we're gonna we're gonna have a last song of worship here. The communion tables are out, and I'm gonna invite you during this last song to go and um, go get elements and break bread as we worship God together in this last moment. But I believe God wants to consecrate us this morning. What difference does it make if we hear a series of preaching on faith, but we never actually respond in faith to what God's saying? Amen. Now look, friends, I believe He wants to conquer kingdoms. 
I believe he does want to enforce justice and close the mouths of lions. And I believe he does want women to receive back their dead through resurrection. I believe those things. I'm confident in those things. But it's almost as if, if we're not willing to say amen to the second part, we've got no right to say amen to the first part. And this morning I'm wanting us to say amen. And so if you don't mind closing your eyes for a moment, I'm going to pray over us. Father, we, we thank you that you never, ever played games with us. We are not a chessboard with pawns and bishops and knights that you move around to accomplish your purposes. We are children, your children, that you have infused with infinite worth, first by creating us in your image, and secondly, by sending your only son to die that we might be redeemed. And everything you do in our life, Lord God, comes out of a heart of love and a heart of your redemptive purposes for the world. And Lord, I'm so grateful that whatever I'm called to endure, whatever we are called to face, we know that we'll face it with your grace. I don't need today's strength to endure tomorrow's battles. I just need today's yes to believe that I will have the grace to get through whatever it is that we need to get through. And Lord, I pray that you would take us flawed as we are, men and women, mistakes we've made, even mistakes we're making now. It's not too late to stop that rubbish, to turn away from our sin, to turn to you in repentance and say, God, come in, wash that from my life. And say, Lord, I want to be a man. I want to be a woman of faith. I want to be one of those of whom the writer of Hebrews says, men and women of whom the world was not worthy. And so this morning we commit ourselves afresh to you. We open our hands. Can you maybe do that as a, as a picture? Lord, I open my hands. Everything in my life, I surrender to you. My husband, my wife, my parents, my children, my career, my savings, my reputation, my health. Father, for that better possession, that abiding possession. He's no fool that gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Come, Lord, just unlock hearts now. Just use a key to expose us to so much more, Lord God. Change the city. Change this nation, change the nations through these men and women, Lord God. I 